This episode is brought to you by Revolver Studios, Portland's own homegrown recording studio and music production house, run by musicians for musicians. Revolverstudios.org. This is the Portland Film Podcast, and I'm your host, Molly Silverstein. Today, we continue our screenwriting series recorded at the 2016 Portland Film Festival with the Perils of Screenwriting Workshop, Part 1. Panelists include Leslie Dixon, Laurie Craig, Randall Jansen, and Miguel Tejada Flores. Our panelists share tips on pitching, working with an agent, insights on writer's block, the usefulness of negative comments, and survival strategies before your next Oscar nomination. One quick note before we begin. You will notice brief pauses throughout the workshop as the audience asks questions, and also some of the language used during the workshop may not be suitable for young listeners. And now, here's our panel. Hi. All right, I'm Randall Johnson. Um, I've been a screenwriter. I, I am a screenwriter. Of, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, Randall, welcome. <laughs> um, Gosh, I've uh, yeah been in this business for 31 years. I wrote, uh, co-wrote uh, The Doors and a movie called Dudes that Miguel produced uh, way back uh, when uh, Penelope Spheris directed. Um, it's one of the writers on The Mask of Zorro. Uh, done some Tales from the Crypt and a bunch of other stuff that's sitting in the vaults of various studios. Arguably my best work. <laughs> um, and uh, this is an esteemed panel. Let me just reach all the way down here. I, I don't know. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves or shall I just do it? Okay. All right. I'm just going to pass it off. Then to Leslie, you're, you're a goddess. Okay. I'm going to, but I'm going to hand it over here to. My name is Lori Craig. I'm a screenwriter for many years, uh, more than I care to name, but I started when I was 11 years old. So, you know, do the math. You really? And you're 13 no. now. And I'm 13 now. <laughs> I'm Miguel Tejada Flores. Yep, that's my name. If you spell it, you get a deal with my Bolivian American production company. No, uh, I write screenplays too, and before that I labored in the fields of the metaphorical Lord, or I read scripts and was a suit, or as they say in Spanish, pendejo en corbata. And um, I write a lot, and one of the writers I nearly worked with years ago and read when I was idealistic was a great writer, and here's who she is. Miguel was my first meeting in Hollywood, and it is a complete coincidence that we're both here. We have not seen each other in decades. So, yeah, that's how old we are. He was the, my first fan, the first person to pick up a script off the pile, and the first professional meeting I ever had in my whole life. So one of the things we could talk about is how to, comp well, actually, I'm going to do that in another Another thing is how to comport yourself in meetings. Obviously, I did something not too bad because he's still speaking to me. My name is Leslie Dixon. I'm a screenwriter and a producer. I've had uh, 13 studio pictures made as a writer and three or four more that I produced either as well or instead of, like when I wasn't the writer. Um, and those include things like Gone Girl and Limitless, going backwards in order and Hairspray, and Thomas Crown Affair, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Overboard. And there's other ones, um, but I've had a great ride off that train. Um, but one of the things we can talk about today, I think, is how much the business has changed and always is changing. And that's one of the things you kind of have to always be on your guard against. 
but um, this isn't meant to be totally a panel of doom because um, it isn't. But there's a lot of there's things. Possible. There's a lot of things you can avoid. Let's put it that way. I would add that Miguel also gave me my first job way back when. So, uh, Leslie, you and I, ah, uh, well, okay, but we we have Miguel in common, Leslie. You know, let's let's put it that way. And we talked about that last year when we first met. But um, all right, so are we? I was. I think I'm owed a job. Um, so I was in the restroom when you decided what, what format we're going to take here with this discussion. Are we fielding questions right away or are we diving in and just talking about our uh, uh, comparing scars? Well, actually, I made a little list of things that would be good. Great. And, and I, I can just sort of read through what they are. And then Lori probably will, you know, Miguel will probably uh, jump in and say something vile. Um, and Lori will probably jump in and say something intelligent. Um, but um, here are some of the things, both that, that people I work with, other people that write for a living professionally, complain about or freak out about, and things that I have freaked out about, and things that anybody who gets into this business will freak out about. Um, here are some issues, and, and anybody who has questions about specific ones or anything you want to add, Lori. Um, what I just said, how the business is always a living, breathing animal that changes. And the changes that we've all seen in the decades we've been doing this are unimaginable. I mean, the video revolution, cable television actually becoming good. Cable television actually becoming the quality purveyor, like more than feature films. Um, you know, feature films drying up a little bit and contracting and becoming all superhero movies. These are huge, huge changes. Streaming, you know, these are things we couldn't even have dreamed of. They're, they're as cataclysmic as, as going from silent to sound, you know? So actually, they're not the first earthquakes that have happened in our business, but those are things that you always have to have your ear to the ground about because just when you think that Westerns are in, you know, the world changes again. Um, ageism and sexism are things that people um, rail against who do what I do. Um, demoralization and frustration, I, I have written here, you will need a therapist and one who's familiar with Hollywood. <laughs> um, your regular nice therapist up here will not know what the hell you're talking about. Um, and probably will be too organic to prescribe you the heavy drugs you will need. Um, That's changing here in Oregon, by the Oh, way. good. Um, okay, here's another one, and, and actually Josh, who's, you know, running this place, asked me how to get real feedback, you know, uh, and not just your friends patting you on the shoulder and saying, oh, that was nice, you know, when they hated it. Um, getting real feedback and being open to listening to real feedback, and we can talk about that. I bet that's one of the things that everybody wants to know. Um, knowing what subjects to avoid before committing to writing a script, what's in, what's out, um, you know, like nobody wants to read your IRA movie. No one wants to read your IRS movie. It's like, you know, there's certain, there's certain subjects <laughs> that people don't want. Um, then there's some things that have to do with like, if you actually get any traction and you're actually a working writer and we can minimize those if you'd rather hear about the things that are more related to just writing and selling a script. But there's sort of some fun stuff 
um, we can maybe do 10 minutes on it if you like about like what happens if you actually get your foot in the door. I mean, I'm going to do a panel about how to comport yourself. When, you know, if you do get your foot in the door and maybe some of these things would be more better expressed there where I'm not sucking the air out of this room and like into a vacuum. Um, claustrophobia and living too much of a virtual life, which is a danger for all of us, but a particular danger for people who write for a living because you have to sit in front of your damn laptop all the time. Um, bad or inattentive agents, which can be really a killer, or, uh, or ones that try to cheat you, which uh, one person sitting on this panel has had a bad experience with that. Um, heartbreak, you know, why it's good when to have something that you're always moving towards even if the last one while the last one is still being read so that if it is an inordinate flop you're halfway through something new that you could be excited about um and then this goes under the category of like if you get any traction being rewritten by idiots but that probably won't happen to you in the next few months so um does any so go ahead somebody um, wow i don't yeah, know I don't how, to, how to follow that um I, I, one of the things you said resonated with me about um, heartbreak. And one of the things I tell people is that it's always about next because you're going to spend a lot of time crafting this really special baby of a screenplay. But you do need to know that even if you get an agent from that baby, the agent wants something they can sell again. They need another baby. And it's always good to have your next thing in mind because when when the last one leaves you you can't you know have this empty nest syndrome and you can waste a lot of time mourning what might have been and it's very important to have the next one yeah they got what else you got yeah. you need the else what else what else bonfire that burns up of excitement about like your script it can still never get bought. Like it can be on everybody's weekend read and somebody's about to make an offer and then somebody else is about to make an offer. And I think everybody sitting here has had the experience of somehow that first offer that's supposed to touch off that giant bidding war just kind of doesn't happen. So you can waste time also not being heartbroken, but being overexcited about the prospects of something that really looks like it's going to click. And you always have to hold a little bit of cynicism aside um, for safety's sake, for your heart. How many uh, people here are involved in writing in one way or another? Most of you, and and most of you do screenwriting. Just just checking. So we we are all on the same page, metaphorically speaking. Good luck. <laughs> No, um, God, there was, I, I forget who did the quote. It was like one of these guys, Tom Hanks, who said, you know, the thing about the movie business is when you're really, really, really successful, they only say no to you 80% of the time. So imagine, you know, in your life when we need, we're human beings and we want positive and negative feedback from our friends, relationship, mentor, family, and imagine being in relationships where people are 80% of the time telling you, you suck, you're not good enough, you're a loser, to quote a famous politician right now, and, and so on and so forth. How do, you, how do you stay mentally and emotionally resilient to survive all that? You know? 
Well, you have to have really good friends. I mean, you have you have to keep you have to keep a foot. You have to keep your personal life well lubricated and oiled. Um, you cannot be off doing things uh, with this so much that you forget about your wife or children or significant other or the old friends you went to college with because those people are going to turn out to be the people that are still there for you when you're feeling miserable. So always make sure your relationships uh, aren't neglected while you pursue this demon because um, you'll need those people. And the new friends you make, if you do get into Hollywood, for the most part, because Lori's a very old friend of mine, um, won't be as reliable emotionally as your old friends. Um, so who in this room is comfortable spending inordinate amounts of time alone? Most of you. Okay, good. Because that's number one. Like, you have to really be willing. Does anybody in this room have the guts to disconnect from the internet while they're writing and not check their emails every 10 minutes? Anybody? I have trouble with that. Well, I'm, I'm not saying I, I can do it, um, but that, that helps an awful lot too. Um, okay, so the worst thing is what everybody will tell you is that you're not gonna sell your first script. I was told I would never sell my first script. I would never, I would probably sell my 10th script, that I would have to write like nine scripts and maybe I would sell my 10th. Um, I sold my first script, so it can happen. It can, but what I did before I sold it was I made a real study of like what was getting made and why, and I read a lot of scripts and um, recognized that like coming up with a high concept idea seemed to be the quicker way than some drama that's dredged out of your own tormented past about two college students in love that can't make it. No, um, so that. <laughs> Why is that one of the pictures? Was that one of the films that somebody has? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, I haven't seen them. That one might be good. Um, anyway, the nine script thing, and you'll only write your test. And most people don't have the stick to itiveness to write nine scripts and be rejected nine times. But what is fantastic about now, and this is not a peril of screenwriting is that we're in the information age and you can find out so much about how to do this gig from the internet that didn't exist when we all started out and we had to physically go to Hollywood and flail around there and try to meet people and talk to people that were really doing this so we could get information. And now there are so many people that are generous with their time and information and also what people who have written scripts can do is enter them in legitimate screenplay competitions which never existed when I was young and if you win or place in one of those, you will get an agent. And you can be from Nowheresville, and they don't care. They, they just, you know, it's what's on the page. So that part of it is good. All of you guys have a lot more access to the wider world of agents and managers and things like that. You, there's a few uh, connective tissues that you, can, that you can utilize that just don't involve going to LA. Um, but that, you know, and, and it's easy to find out what the legitimate ones are, but it's, it's writing that first script and, and recognizing that you might have to write more. I got really lucky, um, but it could have easily been years. And I don't know if I could have written nine scripts. So I think what I would say is, you know, really, really don't dash it off. 
<laughs> do do your absolute best on the first one or two that you write and do a lot of studying of like reading good uh, people's good scripts before you do it and and you could cut your learning curve hugely hugely down i that the, i think that nine script rule and sell your 10th is is outdated now i mean a smart person can cut years off that time if they are armed with the knowledge that i lacked yeah, you could really just write eight scripts and then sell your ninth yeah it's not as He's more pessimistic than I am. <laughs> so, uh, so when you write your script and you finish it finally, which a lot of people have problems with because you get stuck along the way and you didn't know your characters and you didn't know your story and you kept on screwing up and you had to rewrite or you believed that crap about the guy who said, writing is like driving in the fog at night with your headlights on and you can only see as far as the headlights but you can write the whole book that way right good luck writing the script that way he was a famous novelist to william styron wasn't it <laughs> and he was drunk all the time and yeah. he won the pulitzer prize yeah which means if you're drunk all the time you can win the pulitzer prize what are you waiting for you want to win an oscar or the pulitzer prize there's the exit run okay um Say, one of the perils of screenwriting is getting advice on panels like this, so watch yeah. out. No, 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 the biggest peril of screenwriting is reading Sid Field's book. Oh. Um, okay, have you, any of you tried to get through that tome of nonsense? Yeah, I, did. Um, I wrote, read it for years and tried Was to it helpful to anybody here? Did you feel that I, you... I got, I got three things out of it. Go ahead. Page 30, page 60, and page 90. not even true okay well did you guys get did anybody here get anything really meaningful out of that book has anybody ever heard of Sid Field's book they, they, they have yeah go ahead well I I have said this before but my thing is and and yes a lot of movies do have a three-act structure but they don't have to, no, it's, uh, it's, good to it's good to know what that is Right. But but within that basic advice, which I agree with Lori and I agree with you is, is good advice, um, is millions of little other rules and things that it just seemed to me like it was like trying to understand a human being by looking at their DNA. You know, a movie is a mysterious thing, you know. And um, finally, I became much more humble about whatever advice I would give. And I just boiled it down to one sentence, which is, does the reader want to turn the page to the next page? And that's it. Like, like if you can do, yeah, if you can do that, though, you will sell your script. Because let me tell you a little secret. This is part of the peril, is people who read scripts professionally, meaning agents, managers, actors, people like me even, we hate reading scripts. We hate it. And the reason is because most of them don't hold your attention for very long. The person has either gotten off on some subject that isn't interesting or the characters aren't coming to life or there's nothing surprising. And I do agree with whichever screenplay writer that said you kind of have to do something in the first 10 pages that's going to get people interested in seeing what's going to happen next. If you're taking 30 pages to set up your story, I doubt anything's going to happen with that script. So people's attention spans, I think, and this is a sad thing, are shorter than they've ever been. You know, we're in the Adderall ADHD you know, short sound bites, r robot chicken kind of world now. And um, people really, but if, if they get yours, I say, okay, I'm going to, here's what they're really thinking. This is could be depressing, but maybe it'll be liberating for you guys. They're thinking, oh God, I'll give it 10 pages. That's what they're thinking, right? And that's all they'll give it. And unless 
there's some reason for them to turn the page to page 11. And maybe you're typing along and it looks like these guys are happily engaged and talking about their wedding and he suddenly pulls out a gun and shoots his fiance and you don't know why. Okay, I'm gonna turn the page to see why he shot her. So I'm making that up, but it's just like, um, Huh? Interestingly, when I first got down there, I got a crappy little job reading really bad scripts that came over the transom in this non, you would not have even heard of this production company, I promise you, and we can talk later if you're curious. But it was just this little fly-by-night outfit, and the stuff that came in over the transom was so awful that it actually made me feel like maybe I could write something better, and I could, as it turned out. Um, so reading bad scripts and then reading good scripts. I had to go to the American Film Institute because there was no internet and get a library card and check out scripts. Reading good scripts and bad scripts really helps snap you around a little bit. You see the difference very clearly between a screenplay by William Goldman and a screenplay, you know, by some, um, you know, a uh, housewife that um, thinks her divorce is really, really interesting and was working out her demons and anger against her ex-husband, you know? I mean, there were just things where um, you find immediately... So that was the big school for me, was reading great scripts and then reading all the shitty ones that came into this place, none of which they bought. Um, and I just began to develop a sense of what you need to do to keep the reader's attention, even cheap tricks are better than no tricks. Um, Can we quote you on that? The problem I have with a lot of the, the um, systems that are out there is uh, you have to learn a lot of new vocabulary about all the different story structures or, you know, like they give it a new name for each little thing. And it's almost like you got to go to school to learn the, the product that they're selling you. And... I, I tend to have a more seat of the pants, you know, intuitive way of, of writing. Uh, like Leslie said, it's like, is it interesting to me? Am I boring myself? Is there a reason for the scene to be there? Is it serving the premise? Is it an interesting premise? Is it asking an interesting question? Um, even just thematically, not who the character is or whatever, but like, what's, uh, what's this movie going to really be about? Like at its core, at its, at its heart? Is it something that I haven't seen before? If it's love conquers all... I've kind of seen that, but if, if there's a different way that love conquers all, then maybe I'll stay tuned, if that makes any sense. So I don't, I don't really spend a lot of time like analyzing, you know, Campbell or any of the other systems that are out there because it's too much work and I'm too tired. Um, yeah. Uh, First of all, they don't tear apart your screenplay. Uh, I've never had anybody say, you suck, you're terrible. They say, we love you. We love you so much. Um, and that's, that's another peril of, of, you know, whoever, whose title is this, Perils of Screenwriting? Miguel's. That's oh, your fault. Okay. Um, one, of the, one of the hardships in the snow um, is that, it's hard to tell when people are telling you the truth, and so you tend to just assume everybody's always lying. Um, I said in the panel I did before, like the floor, just to get in the room, you were gonna to be told they loved it. Like, they're not even gonna consider optioning something they like. They love it, they love you, they love you, they wanna meet. That's how you get in the room. Nobody ever says, 
it sucks. We want to talk to you about how to improve it. They love you until you get a call from your agent saying they think you've taken it as far as you can. Um, so you tend to get a little jaded and cynical so that when somebody's loving you, you don't believe it. And um, that's, I guess, one of the hardships or perils in this business. <laughs> you know, sometimes whether you're taking a meeting in the studio or getting feedback from your friends, you're as a writer in a position where you have to deal with what people are telling you. And me for years, especially I, I started out early, I wrote a script or two and then I wrote Revenge of the Nerds and people thought I was a genius. Well, I was, but they didn't know it. Um, so anyway, I would give, but I would give my scripts to people for years, friends of mine, a bunch of friends, and I'd say, hey, tell me what you think. And honestly, it took me a while to figure out and be honest with myself. I wanted people to say, Miguel, you are such a fucking genius. This is so fucking great. And when they didn't, there were a lot parts of me which would get defensive and freak out. And so essentially, years later, so yeah, give me a fucking break. I was wasting my own time in theirs. So, so the guy who has a better way of saying it is Neil Gaiman in his seven rules for writers or whatever he says, who's very, very cool and understands things about writing. And he says one of his rules are, he says, you give your manuscript, your writing, whatever to people. And he says, and this is what it means. He says, when you give your script to people, your manuscript, and they say something is wrong with it, and let me just tell you what it is and I'll tell you what it means. They're almost always right. When they tell you how to fix it, they're almost always wrong. What that means basically is, and, and then there's a further catch to this, and he says before that, if you've written a, whatever it is and you're giving it to people, it's really a waste of your time and theirs to give it to people who don't either like or understand what kind of a story it is. So if I'm writing a disgusting hack and slash horror movie and I give it to somebody who no, just does kitty, kitty animation <laughs> or disease of the week, tragic movies for TV, I'm wasting everybody's time. So you give your script to people. When they tell you something is wrong, people are not articulate. Most people cannot give good notes. Even the good ones who do it for a living often can't and then they rely on armies of readers to do it for them and the readers are frustrated and angry at everybody and blah, blah, blah. But when they say something doesn't work, what they're, when, they're, when they say something's wrong, what they're really saying is, this doesn't work for me. Now you get into a big gray area. What does that mean? It means, and, and not everything you write will work for everybody. Okay, it doesn't always, yeah. Here's a thing that, that can keep you from getting totally demoralized. He's really onto something with this. Does the person you have given your script to read, first of all, they've agreed, you're asking them for five hours of their time, more or less, you know, just to read it and then to really think about it and to write up some notes maybe. So it's, they're doing you a favor. Does this person even like movies? How many movies do they go to? Two in the last year? That's not the person that should be. You're a film freak should read you. You know, somebody that majored in it in college or just goes to the movies every Saturday and just loves it and is home all the time watching HBO, you know, that person. So for one thing, you know, if the person only reads novels and never goes to films, that's not the right person. They can't judge a screenplay. Um, it'll seem like a really alien form to them. And then secondly, what you want is for three or four people to read it and they can certainly identify what's wrong or what what didn't work for them, let's say. Uh, they will not be able to tell you how to fix it unless it's the crackpot professional writer, maybe. But they, if there's a common tide of opinion, like if those three out of those four people bumped on the same thing, then 
they're onto something and you've learned something super valuable. You've learned what really doesn't work about your script. Now, if they all tell you something different, your script's a, either you didn't get to get to the right readers or your script's a mess. <laughs> but, but I've had incredible feedback that was very helpful and humbling to me when three different friends of whom Lori would frequently be one would say the same thing didn't work for them. And then I just had to look in the mirror and face myself and say, all right, I've got to fix that. So more than one person, you know, to get feedback from is really helpful. Then a tide appears. Tell me what you loved or hated. Yeah. yeah. Weeks and then four weeks. It gets shorter and shorter. Each 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 writing period gets shorter. So typically it's like twelve weeks. You know, in the feature world, twelve weeks to deliver the first draft. They have a reading period that's usually about a month. They usually get back to you sooner than that. Um, and then four weeks, two weeks. Working, they'll cut you off before you ever get to it and they won't let you ever get to those steps and they'll replace you with somebody else or if you have really messed up abandon the project altogether um also they are very they play pretty fast and loose with those deadlines i mean you can't take six months to write something that you were contracted for 12 weeks but i got into the weeds on a very challenging script recently that was worth staying with and I was in constant contact with my producer, but I'm an experienced writer and I've done this a lot. So for me to take nine months to write a screenplay on an assignment is unheard of in my world. I've always been a monster, like crank it out, crank it out. But I was, so if you ever are taking longer to do something or it's really difficult for you, for hopefully for a good reason, because you feel you can dig deeper and really get something great out of it, remaining in constant contact with your bosses, right? Call them and just say, here's what I'm doing. I just threw out half the second act. Here's what didn't work about what we talked about. I don't want to turn it in and have you disappointed. I'd like a chance to fix that before you see it. They'll appreciate that you're willing to do extra work. Which, by the way, is valid even if your boss is not someone who works at the studio because he said when you were working for the studio and you have a reading period and you have to deliver it, and that means that actually he's referring to the 20th century, back when writers still got deals with studios, back when there still were studios, back when writers still got contracts. Now, of course, I hope you know we're living in the 21st century. The vast majority of movies are not written for studios. They're written for independent producers or people with no money or little money. They're still your bosses. So what she says about staying in touch with them is true. Hopefully, most of you have decent writing contracts of a sort, but the concept of writing for a studio is kind of a dinosaur-like concept. Thanks for listening to the Portland Film Podcast. Join us again next week as we continue our screenwriting series with part two of The Perils of Screenwriting. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can subscribe on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or visit us at theportlandfilmpodcast.com. Portland Film Podcast is a Portland Film Festival production produced and edited by Misty Eddy. Our associate producer is Sean Conley, sound engineer Paul Dillon, and I'm Molly Silverstein. See you next time.